0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch.
1: Coming up on this Tuesday edition, the White House is telling employers to ignore the court stay on President Biden's vaccine mandate.
2: People should not wait. We should continue to, to go uh, move forward and make sure that they're getting their, their, uh, their workplace vaccinated.
1: We'll get the latest on the administration's response to the Fifth Circuit putting a hold on the government mandate from Texas Congressman Chip Roy, a member of the House Judiciary Committee and a member of the House Freedom Caucus. I'll also ask him about why Republicans threw a lifeline to Democrats. They were a failing in their efforts to get policies across the line until last Friday when 13 Republicans voted for the infrastructure bill keeping the Democratic policy lifeline floating. And uh, do the declining numbers of COVID cases combined with the announcement from Merck and Pfizer of new ground-breaking COVID antiviral pills for COVID undercut the claim that there is a national emergency that justifies the COVID shot mandate? We'll talk with Dr. Andrew Bostom, Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Brown University. As sung by their own statements, made public through a Freedom of Information Act request, the Nebraska State Board of Education pulled the plug on their new sex education standards after 90% of the public input was in opposition. The board president, Maury Nichols, has appointed an ad hoc committee to review the fiasco and come up with a better process for next time. Question is, will the outcomes be better next time? I'll talk with a Nebraska businessman who is running for governor in Nebraska, Charles W. Herbster. Later here on Washington Watch. And staying on the education trail, a mom in Fairfax County, Virginia, was banned from her, son, her son's public school library. What'd she do? Well, she actually complained about pornographic books that were on the library shelf. Stacy Langton uh, will be here uh, later to explain. Also, FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies, is here With an update on the parental wave that is unseating school board members all across the nation. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later. It's archived at TonyPerkins.com. All right, mark your calendars for November the 28th. From coast to coast, border to border, we'll be praying together for life. That's November the 28th, 7 p.m. Central Time, a national prayer gathering in Jackson, Mississippi, In advance of the U.S. Supreme Court hearing, oral arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. Now, this is a huge case because this will challenge the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. This event will be held live at New Horizon Church in Jackson. To find out more how you can be a part of it, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word TOGETHER to 67742. And join me. Along with several others, we'll have former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. We'll have uh, Flip Benham, who has been a part of the pro-life movement for years. Ryan Baumberger will be there. Carter Conlon, overseer of Times Square Church in New York City. Marjorie Dannenfelser with Susan B. Anthony's List. We'll have president and CEO of uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, Mike Ferris. We'll have Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. We'll have Dr. Deborah Honeycutt, a pro-life doctor, And a part of the Human Coalition Action. And Dr. Alveda King will be there as well. Bishop Vincent Matthews, uh, Josiah Presley, an abortion survivor from South Korea. We'll talk uh, to Myra Rodriguez. She is a former Planned Parenthood employee turned pro life advocate. And Monica Sparks, Democrats for Life. And the list goes on and on. You get the point. A lot of folks are going to be a part of it. I hope you will as well. Again, Text the word together to 67742. That's 67742, the word together to be a part of that event. All right, the Biden administration responding to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, the uh, the Biden administration is, is simply going forward, ignoring the fact that the Fifth Circuit put a hold on the implementation of the mandate. Now, a lot of Uh, Now, as we talked about yesterday, this mandate pertained to the uh, issue of uh, private employees, employers that have over 100 employees. Now, subsequent suits have also been filed as it pertains to health facilities that take Medicare and Medicaid funds, health care workers. That uh, is yet to be filed. And then there's also the, the federal worker or federal contractors So no decision on those as of yet. Uh, But many, many people are waiting to see what is going to transpire in these cases so that uh, those who are opposed to the mandate may not have to get the shot uh, for this. We're going to be joined here in just a moment uh, by uh, Congressman Chip Roy of of Texas, who is a member of the House Judiciary Committee, as well as a member of the House Freedom Caucus, uh, to respond to the fact that 26 states have challenged President Biden's vaccine mandate. In fact, uh, the Democratic governor of Kansas uh, has, is one of those that has challenged that the mandate. We have uh, also some Democratic attorneys general that have also challenged the mandate. So this is there is bipartisan opposition to the president's mandate. Uh, so this is not just a Republican thing. This is a freedom. Uh, initiative. People are concerned about where this may lead. And again, I'll I'll, I'll say it. I'm not opposed to uh, vaccines. I'm not anti-vaccine. I am one who supports the right of Americans to decide what they're going to do based upon your situation, your health situation, what your doctor recommends, whether or not you are to, uh, you know, you're in a health, a high-risk category, and this vaccine is a good idea for you, your decision should not be up to the government to decide that. All right, um, I want to play again this this clip from uh, the Deputy Press Secretary, Gareen Jean-Pierre. She told reporters during a briefing yesterday that regardless of what the Fifth Circuit has said, They need to move forward in vaccinating, mandating the vaccine on their employees. Play clip one, please.
2: People should not wait. They should continue to to go uh, move forward and make sure that they're getting their, their, uh, their workplace vaccinated.
1: So it's interesting. The court would say, all right, there are some grave constitutional issues that the Opponents have raised here that the courts need to decide. This is a circuit court. There have been uh, cases found in other circuits. And so ultimately, it's there's a very high probability, because you have multiple circuits, I think actually it's been filed in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, five different circuits, that this will eventually lead to the Supreme Court weighing in and determining the outcome uh, of this now, obviously, the clock is moving very quickly uh, when you look at the fact that we have until January the fourth for the implementation of this, but you've got to back that up because you have to have um, i think it's like depending on which vaccine you get, you've got to have it in advance of that for it to be fully effective, so we're really talking about at the latest in the middle of December that individuals in order to comply with his January 4th mandate would have to be vaccinated. So the courts have to move on this pretty quickly to uh, stave off this mandate from the uh, the federal government. Now, the, the question and I'm going to talk about this next uh, in our next segment with uh, Dr. Boston, but one of the issues that is uh, being challenged here is that this was done under emergency authority for the Department of Labor and OSHA. Now, that authority allows the agency to uh, shortcut the process to issue these workplace safety standards, which normally takes years. Now, think about this for a moment. I was looking at the data today on uh, the COVID cases. They're, they're declining. In fact, uh, they're at one of the lowest points uh, they have been in quite some time in terms of new cases. They did peak. Uh, we had a pretty, pretty significant spike uh, in the summer. Primarily in, in July, August, I think this was the, the the Delta variant, and so there was a there was a spike, but it's declining and it's it's going steadily down. It's actually one of the lowest points since, uh, if the CDC's numbers are correct, um, since the beginning of this. So, that's a part of the fact that the Biden administration opened the borders. And we have people coming into the country again. So we have people coming into the country because the uh, the threat is not as great. We've got uh, the numbers going down of hospitalizations. We heard this yesterday with the, the governor of Mississippi saying that they're at one of the lowest points they've been uh, since the crisis. Not minimizing any of the cases. They're still there. Um, but everything seems to be declining. So what's the emergency? Why mandate a vaccine? Some are suggesting we may have already be, we may already be at that point of herd immunity because of those that have contracted the virus and uh, that they are now, they have now have natural immunity. Well, join me now to talk uh, about the uh, the administration's response uh, to this and uh, what states may do, uh, in terms of uh, continuing to fight for this is Congressman Chip Roy of uh, of Texas. Chip, welcome back to the program.
3: Tony, how are you, my friend?
1: Good. So the the Biden administration going ahead and telling businesses that they need to go ahead and move forward with the vaccination, the forced vaccination of their employees, despite what the um, Fifth Circuit said. How do you respond?
3: Well, If that's how they're going to play the game, then, you know, there's quite a few uh, Supreme Court opinions that I don't think very highly of. Uh, But uh, let's put that aside for a minute and uh, understand that this gives away what we know to be true about the Biden administration, that this has never been about um, trying to do the right thing for health. It's never been the right thing about the law. It's all been about power. And that's all they care about is continuing to force this. They're perfectly happy to see Uh, strong members of the military or Border Patrol who want to flout these kinds of orders quit and not be there. They're perfectly happy to see uh, what's going on with businesses because they want to have command and control of everything. They're happy to ignore the Fifth Circuit's uh, administrative stay. Uh, And I think it's incumbent upon Congress to step into the breach and to defund Uh, their ability to do this. I don't think any member of the uh, Congress, particularly Republicans, obviously, should vote to fund government when the CR comes back up the first week of December uh, if uh, these uh, mandates are going to stay in place.
1: Well, uh, actually, we're we're almost out of time, so I don't get to unpack everything. But I did want to ask you about what's the deal with 13 Republicans voting to throw the Democrats a lifeline on that infrastructure bill?
3: Yeah, well, we've got to have a change. Uh, There there can be no um, accepting this sort of thing. And uh, the leadership needs to hold people accountable. Uh, It's very clear that these 13 uh, were perfectly fine trying to get their bridge for home and leave us dangling. So we need leadership to hold them accountable, and hopefully we'll see that happen.
1: All right. Uh, Congressman Chip Roy, always great to talk with you. Thanks for uh, stopping by with us and visiting with us today. All right, folks, uh, we're going to continue our conversation. Some positive developments on the COVID virus with an antiviral uh, pill that is uh, potentially going to be approved for use. The U.K. is already looking at it in trial runs. What might that do to the emergency situation that we see happening in the country? Could this be the end of the uh, COVID pandemic? We're going to talk about it next with Dr. Bostrom from Brown University. Don't go away, we're coming back with more Washington Watch after this.
2: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org slash worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions.
4: to six seven seven four
1: two welcome back to Washington Watch I'm Tony Perkins your host so good to have you with us the website tonyperkins.com all right, Could the pandemic, the COVID nineteen pandemic, be in its final days? Britain will start to roll out Merck's uh, Monopiver, uh antiviral pill through a drug trial later this month. Now, there's uh, this there's a Pfizer drug as well, antiviral drug. Uh, we've got in addition to that, we've got you know three vaccines that are on the market. Uh, these uh, these pills, according to some, are cutting the These are only been have been given to those who are not vaccinated, who end up sick, and uh, it is having quite significant success. So we see all these things happen. I mentioned earlier in the previous segment that we see the number of cases declining. Uh, We see. These new treatments coming online, lots of more tools in the government's COVID kit. So, why the urgency to force Americans to get the COVID jab against their will? Well, it's one of the things we're talking about today. And join me now to talk uh, more about this, Dr. Andrew Boston, an academic internist and epidemiologist. He joins us now. Uh, Dr. Boston, welcome back to Washington Watch.
5: Uh, great to be with you again, Tony.
1: Let's talk about these new drugs um they look very promising. What might we expect here in the united states
5: um well i, I think they they are two promising drugs um uh they what they sh- what they show tony is that um and this is really the drug model versus what's what's come to be the vaccine model uh the the drug model and this is uh, these drugs are 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 both um using um, uh, methods that, that were developed through, through the HIV ap- epidemic. Um, but they target high-risk people in the trials. In other words, Tony, they, each one of these trials, which look very promising, they, sh- they certainly do, um, were short-term trials in individuals at highest risk. In other words, they didn't willy-nilly start uh, treating people at very low risk for severe consequences from, from, from COVID. They went right to the high-risk groups. They were fast, relatively small studies. Again, each study was was, eight, was less than 800 people, and they seemed to show very potent effects within a month. They treated early. They treated aggressively. It was, they were both placebo-controlled trials, um, and they're using two different mechanisms to go after the virus, these different drugs. Um, one, one is very, very similar to what 's done with with hiv um, its it 's um, it's protease inhibitors, in other words, we have that, that uh, if you recall now Tony, we have this this highly active antiretroviral therapy heart therapy. This is really analogous to it the the, the Pfizer drug which is called paxlobin and it 's given with another protease inhibitor which is used in HIV to boost the levels uh, uh, of the drug and we th- they showed an eighty nine percent reduction in the combined endpoint of hospitalization or death within this 28-day 20, 20, um, period, again, but targeting high-risk uh, individuals. Well,
1: um, Dr. Boston, if you're targeting the high risk, then those that are lower risk, should they not have uh, as much uh, benefit from a drug such as this as well?
5: right, but but the point is you're, you're, you, this is the traditional model, Tony, is that you develop a drug in the highest risk and and right. if it 's successful, treat them first, uh, and then sure, but you, but it takes a lot more people to study, and then the risk benefit ratio changes because all drugs are going to have side effects um, but here, the bang for the buck is is very significant the the pretty much the same thing with the with the malnupravir, which is the which is the um, the Merck drug, it's a slightly different mechanism. Um, and there's a, some concerns because it actually induces mutations in, in the virus, which, which, which then prevent viral replication. Right. But right. the question is, you know, will it do the same to healthy cells? And, uh, I noticed in the trial that they excluded, um, they, they told men, uh, not to refrain from heterosexual activity or to, or or to or to use contraception, uh, and they said we don't know if there's any potential effect of the drug on sperm. However, if you're dealing with a high-risk 70-year-old male, I mean, this may be a perfectly uh, a- adequate drug. But there's a few more questions, um, you know, about about the malnupravir. But but the point is, Tony, it's very different than these mass vaccination. Programs. And remember, we never developed a successful vaccine for HIV. We worked more along this right. kind of model um, and made it a very, very manageable uh, uh, disease. Um, and And I just think there's a lesson uh, to be learned here. Um, and, and I do agree with the comments you're already seeing, actually, Tony, you're already seeing declines in stock prices for the vaccine manufacturers as a result, particularly of the, of the Pfizer um, uh, antiviral combination. You, the, um, the stock
1: market tells you a lot when you does, look at the risk does. and reward. Yeah. Let, let me I, I want to make sure our folks didn't miss what you said. Eighty nine percent effective in cutting the hospital stay and preventing death.
5: Yes. But again, very small study, Tony. So right. what's interesting when you compare the two studies, the event rate, in the in the, um, In the Merck study was 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 twice as high as the event rate in the in the Pfizer study, and both studies allegedly targeted high risk people so you see when you have a small sample there 's a lot of variability the consistency though is the, is the dramatic reduction um, in the outcome relative to a placebo control i mean I, I think both drugs need you know more more study but for the but for the very highest risk persons who are who are at death short term. Uh, or at risk, I'm sorry, risk for death or hospitalization, short term. Um, I, I could understand why you you would get an emergency use authorization uh, for 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 drugs like this, um, but I just think, the, you know, the 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 whole idea of 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 uh, treatment of COVID, um, and it should have applied to vaccination, should have always been to target the, the those at high risk. I mean, the vast preponderance of the population. Um, is, is at risk for a, a relatively mild and self-limited flu-like syndrome or even a cold in, in, in really, you know, very immune kids. Um, right. and, and so that the development of either the vaccines or the drugs should always have focused on, on the highest risk. And the good news well, is that we may have two potentially, you know, helpful drugs.
1: I mean, it, it's more it's more efficient and effective. We don't have to shut down all of society. We don't have to so, muzzle everyone. Uh, and we don't have to create this political firestorm resistant to. expose
5: expose people to unknown right. risks. I, I, I mean, it just it makes more sense this way. That's why they didn't do it. <laughs> well, I hope we move forward with some more common sense now with these tools available to us.
1: Yeah, I, I am agreeing with that. Love to talk more about this. In fact, we will in the days ahead because I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. But we're out of time for now. Dr. Boston, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: Take care,
1: Tony. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Parents across the country are waking up to what's happening in public school classrooms. We're going to talk next about what's happening in Nebraska. Don't go away. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, many political pundits noted in the election night autopsies that Virginia Democrat Terry McCullough's infamous line, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, was the death knell for his campaign going forward. You know, as I discussed yesterday with Scott Rasmussen here on Washington Watch, the issue of our children's education is certainly not something that only Virginia parents care about. We're, we've seen this concern all across America. In fact, we've been watching it and reporting on it very closely in Nebraska because Nebraskans have made their voice heard. In fact, one parent, Jason Martinez, who we've had on the program, had discovered through the Freedom of Information Act request that Nebraska state education bureaucrats lied to parents and purposefully excluded religious groups from the sex education curriculum team. Surprise, surprise. Well, Jason spoke out. More parents got involved. You know what? More parents need to be involved in their children's education. Do things like Jason did. Be a part of your children's education, whether or not you homeschool, you go to private school, or you're in the public school. We all have a vested interest in what's happening in America's classrooms. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Nebraska business owner and candidate for governor in Nebraska, Charles W. Herbster. Charles, welcome to Washington Watch.
0: Tony, it's an honor to be on Washington Watch and be here with you today.
1: Let's talk about education. It's something uh, obviously, as a as a business owner, we want uh, to see you know people that are able to uh, prosper and do well in the in the business climate. Are you surprised at the interest that we're seeing on behalf of parents in in what's happening in public education today?
0: You know, one of the things I've shared is I've talked with people and one of the things that happened with COVID when so many students had to not be in school and be at home and go through the learning process is to find out what's really taking place in the education systems today. But as I did more investigation. Critical race theory is started at the University of Nebraska back in 2014. But of course, nobody calls the curriculum criti- critical race theory. Right. So uh, everybody says well, we're not teaching it. Um, I'm shocked and surprised a little bit, but it's not just Nebraska, it's every single state. And I think the most concerning thing to me is the policy of what we're teaching to the young people who are lead our nation. In the next hundred years,
1: well, the Nebraska State Board of Education really got uh, they got their hands slapped by the citizens of Nebraska uh, that you know found out what they were doing they weighed in on it ninety percent of the feedback from the public in Nebraska was contrary to a curriculum that was a health education standard curriculum that they were putting together that was uh, just crazy I mean it was teaching kindergarten students about Uh, You know, genders and sexual orientation, uh, same gender family. I mean, this is kindergarten. I mean, I thought we were learning our alphabet in kindergarten. Why are we learning all this stuff about sex education?
0: Isn't it amazing how we've gotten away from reading, writing, and arithmetic? When I went to school, a country school in southeast Nebraska, we started with prayer. We started with reading the Bible. We started with the Pledge of Allegiance. We learned very early on to honor God to honor our country our founders and to honor our flag
1: well there's still praying going on in the classrooms but it's praying upon the children that we see some doing with pushing these radical agendas now the board has put reset they they pulled the plug on uh, on what was i guess it was actually the second Iteration of this, they pulled the plug back in uh, I think September, and now they're reevaluating it, and they're going to try it again. Do you expect to see a different outcome from the State Board of Education there in Nebraska?
0: I would say they pulled the plug because they got caught. Mm-hmm. That would be the first thing that I would say. Secondly, I hope that the policy would be to change, but I look at what happened recently with critical race theory becoming a voted issue at the University of Nebraska. I thought for sure that we would win that, but it failed. We're still teaching critical race theory at the University of Nebraska. I think the same thing may happen in Nebraska at the lower level education system unless parents band together, and force the issue.
1: Well, we see them doing that across the country. I think part of what is propelling parents forward is as they ask questions, they see this condescending almost, uh, this, well, arrogance. It's, it's arrogance. N- not, not on the behalf of all. So I don't want to paint all school board members and all those in the education community because I, I want to see good people go into education. But parents must hold the system accountable. Uh, we just got about a minute and a half left. What should parents be doing? And speak to the parents in Nebraska.
0: First of all, can you believe that now we're calling parents who are involved in curriculum choices for their children terrorists? Uh, I can't help but bring that out today. Second of all, we need to get good, godly people to run for school boards, to participate, to apply the pressure, because you're right. We've got some great teachers. We have great school board members, but we don't have enough and we need more if we're going to change the direction that's taking place. Yeah, with, with without question, it's going to
1: require parental involvement, parental engagement. And quite frankly, I'm encouraged by what I see happen because more and more parents are getting involved. And as a result, they're getting results. I mean, uh, we, we saw that in Virginia this last uh, last week. Charles W. Herbster, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to be with you, my friend.
0: Tony, thank you, and it's great to be on Washington Watch. All right, keep up the good work there in Nebraska.
1: All right, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to be back with more of this edition of Washington Watch. Uh, But let me just say this previous segment was brought to you by FRC Action. When we come back, we're going to go a little deeper into education and take a look at what's happening not only in Virginia, But elsewhere around the country. So lots more, Washington Watch. Come, don't go away. We'll be right back.
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, have you ever heard of the, uh, the children's book, Gender Queer? Oh, it's a title of, uh, sexual title, the School Library Journal starred review. The journal wrote this, that, quote, genderqueer is also a great resource for those who identify as non-binary or asexual, as well as those who know someone who identifies that way and wish to better understand, end quote. By great resource, they must have been referring to the graphic sex depicted in the book, supposedly tailored to children. A one horrified Fairfax, Virginia mom Found genderqueer and another objectionable title, Lawn Boy, in her children's school library. That mom, Stacy Langton, uh, joins me now. Stacy, welcome to Washington Watch.
9: Hi. Thanks for having me.
1: So, tell us about these two books that you discovered and what you did when you discovered them.
9: Well, um, as I've said before, the material itself is actually more shocking when you see it in person. And that was the entire reason why I had to show the images to the school board and read those passages aloud. And for me, um, you know, it becomes a matter of conscience. And as a Christian, um, I realized, you know, I have a duty here before God, I found it almost impossible to say, Um, how do I, how, how could I possibly stay silent, um, in the face of this? And I felt that I had a duty and a moral obligation before God to let other parents know, because I didn't know. I had no idea that there was something of this level of, um, I mean, it's filth is what it is in the school library. And this is, you know, we're talking about children's souls that are at stake. And so that's why I took it to the school board meeting.
1: So you took it to the school board meeting, and uh, they basically cut you off as you were trying. I've watched the video of you speaking. It went viral. Um, But you also were notified that you were banned from the school library. You were not allowed to be in the school library. Is that correct?
9: Yeah, that actually just happened um, this past week. And I had made many uh, efforts to meet with the principal of my child's school, which is Fairfax High School, and the acting principal is uh, a woman named Maureen Keck. Um, you know, in the beginning, I went the very next day. that I went at 10 a.m. on Friday morning on September 24th to the school to see her. And she didn't have time for me. And she asked me if I could come back next week. And I said to the secretary, I think you guys should probably make some time. This is kind of a time-sensitive uh, situation. And, you know, by the time we finally did meet and we spoke briefly for about 10 minutes and I asked Maureen Keck, have you seen the materials? And they made her very uncomfortable when I showed them to her. She said, that's enough. You can uh, take it away. And I did. Um, And then the review process was begun. So it's been, you know, several weeks. It's been, I guess, what, about six weeks since I spoke. And I haven't heard from her since. So she called me on Thursday And I was just thinking, oh, she's probably calling to tell me something about maybe the update on the review process itself, which they said would take 45 days. But no, she was calling to tell me that she had been informed that I had been in the library the week prior to check out another book and that I was not allowed to do that.
1: So you caught things in the library that were Clearly inappropriate for children, because I I failed to mention that as you read from the book and showed pictures from the book at the school board meeting, one of the reasons they shut you off is that they stated it was inappropriate for you to read that material uh, at a school board meeting. So stands to reason. I think think
9: Stella said there were children in the room. She said, ma'am, there's children in the room. And I I thought, well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for making my point for me. It shouldn't be in the library then.
1: Exactly. Stands the reason if you can't read it in a public school board meeting that it shouldn't be in the public library. So is this, in your opinion, do you think this is just an effort to try to make you go away thinking that uh, they'll just shut you down?
9: Well, I think what she was doing that day was she was trying to make sure that I did not uh, get to see what else is in the library that they don't want parents know that our children have access to because that was the third book, um, that I had, you know, found. So. This book, of course, is of similar material. It's as equally pornographic as the first two that I read on September twenty third. Um, we have a school board meeting coming up on Thursday night. I could easily take this book and do the same thing and read some of these passages aloud that would be, you know, completely disgusting. Um, I mean, I don't intend to do it that way because I have. Something else i 'm trying to do, which is not to replicate the previous meeting i 'm still trying to get accountability i don't i 't have any accountability. Nobody from the school board has given me any answers as to how this material gets in the libraries um, who's in charge of making these decisions? whose responsibility is this um, so i'm i'm still waiting for that, which is why i 'm going to go and speak again on Thursday night, hopefully if i 'm chosen in the lottery. but the thing that was very disturbing about what Maureen Keck said. Is that it's not actually true? She said that there is um, some sort of regulation that says parents are not allowed in the library. And I said, really? Well, okay, if that's the case, uh, nobody stopped me the first time. And if there is a regulation, I want you to send it to me because I want to read it with my own two eyes. And what she sent me says nothing at all about the libraries or about parents entering the library. So. It's not true, and I think what she was doing was simply trying to um, intimidate me and keep me out of the library.
1: Certainly, I mean they've turned our public school libraries into peep shows. They don't want parents to uh, to be in there to see what's going on. So you are asking—just to be clear—you're asking your school board uh, in the for accountability. Who mm-hmm. approves of these books? What's the process by their that by which they're approved? Um, who who's responsible? Is, is that essentially what you're asking for?
9: Well, yeah, yeah. And I don't have any of those answers. I mean, my goodness, it's been six weeks. Um, nobody has contacted me to tell me those basic uh, questions answered. You know, I, I, this is basic, right? Shouldn't we all know as parents how these things go with the schools? And nobody's bothered to tell me those things. So the only thing they bothered to tell me is to call me a few days ago to say, you're not allowed in the library. So it, it kind of, you know, I felt like you're just going to make the parents more mad than they already are, right? Because I think parents in Fairfax County are pretty unhappy about this. Um, I know parents in Loudoun County are unhappy about this, but it's not just a local problem. It's not going on only here in Virginia. This is going on nationwide. Um, there have been school board meetings in Texas and in Ohio. Um, I saw actually an article today about a school board meeting, I think in Rhode Island, where somebody took the gender queer book and did, you know, did much of the same. They showed the pictures and read it aloud. So this is a coordinated effort. This, whatever this material, um, Wherever it's coming from, whoever is funding it um, and, and pushing it on our school systems at the state level, it's coordinated across all 50 states. So that's what we need to get at. Where is the investigative journalist who should be digging on that story right now? What entity is getting paid to put these materials in our state departments of education and filtering it down into the school districts?
1: That's a really good question, because you are absolutely right. It is a coordinated effort, and uh, we we should uh, get to the bottom of that. But also, I want to go back to, uh, to your point before we run out of time. Parents have a right to know who is making the decisions and who they can speak to to change policies that are inconsistent with the values of a community. That's all you're asking for. And then the school, this should not be difficult. Um, it, it's... It's the arrogance, I think, once again, that we see coming from some in the education establishment. And again, I, I said this earlier, I want to be careful because there's some great educators. I'm thankful for good people who go into public education. But we see far too often this arrogance of who are you to ask me? I mean, we saw it from Terry McAuliffe and his idea that parents shouldn't have any say whatsoever in what their children are taught. So two questions for you, uh, Stacy. Uh, Are you going to persist until you get answers? Um, And then secondly, what advice would you give to parents in other states? As you pointed out, it's not isolated to Virginia.
9: Right. So, yes, I'm going to persist. I'm not done. That's why I'm going back to the school board meeting on Thursday night, because I I, I didn't get to finish what I'm going, you know, what I wanted to say in the first place, and I still want that accountability. So it's a process. This isn't going to be wrapped up in a nice, neat, tidy little bow a week from now. Um, I would think it's probably going to go into January. Um, that may not be a bad thing because actually we have laws on the books against this. These things are against the law, right? And we here in the state of Virginia are going to have a new Commonwealth's attorney uh, in Jason Miara's on January 15th. So it's not a bad thing that it's going to take a little while because maybe then we can get some action on the criminal aspect of this. Um, and then as far as for other parents, you know, Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by what Merrick Garland said in the the DOJ memo and, you know, saying, like, parents are going to be have the FBI knocking on your door or whatever, because you're not breaking the law. This is the mechanism for redress of any particular grievance or issue with your school. That's what the school board meeting is for. That's what the community participation forum is for. So go, and it's not against the law, to stand at a podium, which is what I did, and talk to them. Um, so I just hope that, yeah, it will give other parents courage to stand up, pay closer attention to what's going on in your child's school, and you better speak up and say something because otherwise um, there's a lot more where this came from.
1: Well, great advice, and I hope many, many parents across the country will take that and they will follow your example. Thank you for your courageous stand and continue in that stand and that pursuit of truth and answers. And we look forward to seeing what those answers are in the days ahead. Stacey, thanks so much for being with us.
9: Thanks, and please pray for me and pray for my family's protection.
1: We will. We'll encourage our listeners all across the country Uh, to do that, folks. So do that. Uh, Do that for those that are standing up that, you know, it's amazing to me because you hear this from the left all the time about how those on the right are hateful. You know, they're phobia this, phobia that, and they hate people. It's the left. They're projecting onto everyone else their hatred and the vitriol that comes out of their mouths so often. I mean, the stuff that we hear is unbelievable. The, The voicemail messages, the email messages that come in from the left, and the, the profanity. All right, so do that. Pray for Stacy and her family. Continuing our education discussion, I want to turn now to Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back.
10: It's great to see you, Tony.
1: All right. Just like Stacy, I'm going to stay on this education issue. I'm not going to let it go, because... I think this is a very significant issue, and it's a very significant time because parents have grabbed a hold of this. Parents like Stacy, and they're putting pressure on school boards across the country. Now, you know, she made reference to the memo that was uh, put out by uh, Merrick Garland, which was prompted by the National School Board School Boards right. Association. As a result, I believe, as a result. I believe as of today, 23 school board associations have uh, disavowed or distanced themselves from the National School Board Association. Give us an update.
10: That is true. It's a very positive development uh, because we have just elected uh, a crop of new school board members who have a different world view than perhaps is currently being represented on many school boards across the country. And when those school board members are trained, they're going to need to have information that's not stamped with the liberal imprimatur of the National School Board Association. So this is a really, really positive development that that state school board associations are distancing themselves from the national group. And even more positive development is the development of alternative school board associations that's happening across the country now. There's a new one in Arizona, there's another group in Ohio, and there is work on a national level alternative to the school boards association that is underway so that we can make sure that people who share our worldview and who are elected by people who share our worldview have policy instruction that also is in keeping with that worldview. It's a wonderful no, that's, development.
1: That's a, that's an important development, it is. Um, last question for you. You know, the school issue, education issue is a big factor in Glenn Youngkin's win in Virginia. Do you think that issue could translate into other states as well, that we could see this as a, a big midterm issue?
10: Well, parents all over this country care about their children, and grandparents all of this country love and dote on and worry about their grandchildren, and the kind of country that they will inherit moving forward. So I absolutely think that this is an issue that will be replicated all over the country. Um, the the closure of schools, the issue of, of health care now intersecting with, with education, and uh, not to mention the issues that we've cared about, the social social issues.
5: So
1: let me, very quickly, before we run out of time, the, the vaccine mandate, I mean, I, I foresee that coming. Um, I mean, that's going to supercharge, I think, some of these educational debates at school boards across the country. Am I right?
10: I think that's right. We're already getting reports of emails going out from school systems to parents of elementary age children about the availability of the vaccine and the importance of vaccinating your children. And people are not very happy about that sort of advocacy from the school.
1: Well, we'll we'll monitor that. Yeah, because I think I think I just think it's a matter of time for the mandates come. The left can't help themselves. Meg Kilgannon, we're out of time, but always great to talk with you. And I'm sure we got a lot more to talk about in the days ahead.
10: Yes. Thank you, Tony.
1: And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Remember, text the word together to six, seven, seven, four, two to find out about pray together for life on November the 28th. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words. The Apostle Paul found the Ephesians six where he says when you've done everything you can do